0: Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips.
1: Welcome. I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. Our show today is very special with a topic that is very important, understanding and responding to anger in children. There have always been external as well as family events that have disrupted families and filtered fear and dysregulation down to children. These past few years of the pandemic have really added additional strain. So often, adults have asked, is anyone else angry? Today, we're going to speak about when children are angry. Our guest today is Dr. Deborah Serrani. A returning guest to Psych Up Live, who among many things is a senior adjunct professor at Adelphi University, a psychologist in private practice, an award-winning author, a media expert on psychological issues, and a writer for both Psychology Today and MedPage Today. Among her many books, Dr. Sotrani has written a number of books on children and for children, including Depression and Your Child. And the children's books are Sometimes When I'm Sad and Sometimes When I'm Bored. Today, she'll be helping us to understand and respond to anger in children across ages. And she will be sharing, she'll read the whole book in our final segment, a beautifully written and beautifully illustrated book, Sometimes when I'm mad. In some ways, the book siphons everything we're going to be talking about down to a child's level in a beautiful way. Dr. Deborah Serrani, it is my privilege to welcome you back to Psych Up Live.
2: Thank you so much, Suzanne. I'm always happy to do this show with you.
1: Okay, um, same here. So what I've been thinking about, um, Deb, is that is the question that, or maybe the statement. Anger is a kind kind of many complicated thing. It can cover other feelings. It can be a secondary feeling. It can be caused by emotions. It can be caused by physical states. Let's talk a little bit. Let's dissect anger for our listeners. I think when it comes
2: to different kinds of feelings. Most people would say that anger is generally a difficult one to experience internally and express externally. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, it's important for listeners to understand that anger really is a signal to us and others that something is really amiss, whether it is a physical need that's not being met or an emotional issue that's causing frustration Anger shouldn't be seen so much as a bad thing, but as a what thing. What, what's going on more deeply in a child or even an adult?
1: Oh, perfect. Great. So let's, let's go from that to talk about, right on that theme, how do we spot anger and the meaning of anger in children of different ages, Debbie?
2: Well, it's also important to understand that anger is a healthy emotion. It it really does signal that something is wrong. And there are different ways that children at different age levels experience anger internally and express anger. So one of the best ways is to kind of break this up into age groups. So when we think about child development, we want to look at infants, from birth on, toddlers to when they're really kind of moving about two or three years of age, and then we break the group into preschool-age children and school-age children. So, among these four categories, it could be helpful for parents, grandparents, caregivers to tune in a little bit differently to understand how anger gets expressed and experienced When we talk about infants, the most important thing is to realize that most babies are on a needs basis. I'm hungry, I'm cold, I'm frightened. Um, There may be emotional experiences, but they're not as clear cut as when children are older. So for the most part, children that are newborn, six months old, nine months old, much of their irritability and frustration is going to be needs-based. So we all know the cry of a baby when they're fussy. We all know the cry of a baby when they're maybe frightened. And I think we also know that that shrilly cry when a baby is angry. And it's important for us to just learn what those different textures are because the baby is communicating something babies fuss and cry for a reason it's just you know it's not uh, non-directional there is a directed need for why babies cry so those are one of the first things we look at with babies is what is going on what need might not be being met I so most of the i'm sorry go ahead
1: I was going to say, I love that you're saying this because we want to take away any kind of judgment by new young parents who are thinking, the baby hates me, or the baby loves her, or the mother's upset, and really even the the understandable frustration in a parent who can't figure out, Deb, why the baby is crying, because they've tried to feed the baby, they've tried to change the baby. So, I mean, the normalizing of irritability, it could be cold, it could be hot, has to give them a little bit of freedom of moving away from self-judgment. Sure. And also, you know, babies at this
2: age, they really can't tell us my tummy hurts or I don't like the formula or it's burning my little baby throat or anything like that. So, you know, when we go through our, our our change cycle, hold cycle, feed the baby, what's going on, we need to remind ourselves that we may not be able to detect what's wrong, but to right. give the uh, freedom and the permission to say, I don't know what it is, but I do know my baby's trying to say something. And it does take away some shame and parenting guilt, you know, like, what am I doing wrong? It really may may not even be a thing that you're doing wrong, just that the baby is trying to communicate in a way that we may not understand or know how to fix.
1: Mm. And when grandmothers say they never had this problem, that's (laughs) not true. (laughs) <laughs> I just forgot that they had the problem. Yet. I
2: was going to say, I haven't had that privilege yet, but I imagine it is that they that as a mother, you forget.
1: <laughs> yes, okay.
2: So when we talk about um, babies really growing and being able to speak a little bit and have their mobility and move, that moves to the toddler stage. Yes. And this is where we do, we kind of get toddlers and tantrums and the terrible twos. Uh, some of these are very expected, the anger and ir- irritability, because children are learning the command of language and learning their command of their body, but they don't have it all down, do they? So it can be hard for them to express their own frustration or their own irritability or even anger. So sometimes they break their toys, sometimes they hit or push push their other siblings um, they They do cry sometimes they have their meltdowns, but in general, most of the time it is based again on a, a needs basis mm-hmm. um, so these little ones have more control to express to us what 's going on, but they may not really be able to say i 'm mad because you won 't give me that toy and i'm and I really want that toy. They just may be. I'm I hate you mommy or I'm mad at you mommy, but they don't express the whole experience of it. So toddlers tend to have that um irritability that I think many people are comfortable with. They you know, we always know the terrible twos and even the terrible threes. It kinda comes with this awareness of, okay, they're finding their voice, they're learning a little bit more. Um, but it comes more with expressive, aggressive outward kinds of outbursts.
1: So, let me give you an example, Deb, and see how we would handle it. So, how do we respond to a almost three-year-old toddler who wants his brother's truck and when the mommy um, picks up a car and says, but what about your yellow car? He takes the yellow car and throws it across the room. (laughs) So, what are your suggestions? How, how shall the experience this and respond?
2: Well, there's a lot of things that one can do. Of course, we're, we're going to hope to not giggle and laugh because, you know, that that would reinforce certain behaviors we don't want. Uh, and I giggled as you th- talked about it because there's something quite funny about it. Like, no, I want the truck. Don't give me this yellow car. Um, you know we can reframe the situation and say, "You need to use your words, don't throw your toys um are you do you you want the truck, but you have to wait? you have to take a turn sometimes when we offer um a corrective emotional experience to toddlers it's hard it's hard for them mm-hmm. to to reason with it, so sometimes parents may say. You know, now you don't get the truck at all. You threw the toy. So you're timed out for three minutes, or mommy doesn't like this, or this isn't nice. Um, And then you try and find a way once the situation has um, softened a little bit. You don't wait too long. Say, is there another way we can work that you can play with your brother's truck? And. Sometimes a child will be more amenable to it. Other times they may then take the truck when they get it and throw that across Mm -hmm. the room because, you know, I'm getting it too late. Sorry, I wanted it two minutes ago. So all of these things really do take a lot of balancing with with parenting, but we, we don't want to shame Right we right. we want to instruct, and we do want to have consequences, but we don't want to belabor the situation that it becomes this enormous issue over the truck mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know if I answered that exactly how you were looking for because it's it, it's a little bit of everything there.
1: well, the big piece that I would focus on is not to create the shame, and much like you, I think I would have said when he threw the car, well, clearly you don't want the car um. But let's see what else we could do. Now, sometimes the child is dysregulated so they can't think of an alternative. Right. But if caregiver starts lining up a number of cars in a different way or owns mm-hmm. a different truck and starts playing with it, sometimes the toddler sees that there's alternatives to throwing. Uh, right.
2: Right. So-, so if we right, if we redirect uh, and, and we start to play with the yellow car or we take out and distract and and redirect to something else, sometimes we help the child realize that while I want A, B is not so bad. Right. And that's a corrective emotional experience for the child. They may not internalize it that way, but they do start to link possibilities and shifts as other alternatives.
1: Right. Sometimes something cute happens where... The child with the truck is aware of the other's discomfort or upset and actually hands the truck over. Uh, yes, sure. Children sure. in their awareness of dis- you know, upset in each other.
2: Right, and and even, you know, anger in one child or frustration in another child can tap the empathy and compassion in another sibling. You know, how do they respond to that? Do they, you know, play with the car more intently and frustrate their brother? (laughs) Or do they give it and say, it's okay, you can have it? Um, Yeah, it's, it's... Again, I think we're both hitting the same point here, which is we want to look at the anger, but we don't want to make it a shameful experience because something's being communicated. And I don't want that yellow car. I want that truck. Okay, now what? You know, can we offer some instruction? Can we offer some time relief? Can we offer some other toys to play with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when we talk, start talking about anger in preschool children, this is we're talking about three four five year olds who are in school or daycare. They have much more command of language, right. uh, much more command of their bodies, and um, they they still do struggle they struggle with more awareness of their bodies sometimes uh, they'll feel anger and stomach aches or headaches sometimes they'll um, bite and scratch other playmates, you know, as a means of trying to express their aggression. It's, it's not too often that children will say outwardly, mommy, I'm mad or daddy, I'm mad. This is a good time for parents when they can see these behaviors, say, honey, are you mad? Are you angry? And we give a name to the feeling and we can start teaching children the different texture. What, are you mad? Are you disappointed? Are you frustrated? Because some people experience those three things as the same. They say that they're angry when really there may be more to it
1: than that. And it is great to give them that label that they're disappointed.
2: Yes, yes, because disappointed is not the same as yeah. irritated. And irritated is not the same as angry. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. all so different. Um, and then when we get to school age children, um, this is where anger really seems to uh, be the most prominent. You'd think it would be with, with babies and toddlers and, and preschoolers, but this is where we start to worry if children are, are struggling with their anger um, because this is where anger can turn into doubt and feeling guilty and feeling shame. So this is where we would want to make sure that we can help children understand why they may be feeling angry, which is the focus of this book, telling them and teaching them, you may be tired, and that's what's making you angry. Or maybe you're more angry because you're hungry, or maybe you're feeling lots of different things, and here are the solutions to help you to feel better. Um, And we also want to make sure at this age that children find adaptive ways to express their negative, aggressive feelings, because we don't want it to start to interrupt their academics and their self-concept. And there are many things that uh, children can enjoy and learn from what comes from being angry. It's a boundary setter. I don't like
1: this. And that's okay. Sometimes it's okay to say I'm I don't well, like this and I'm mad. Right, and it would be a problem if a child never felt they could say that, Deb. So, Correct. You're in terms of, of boundary setting. We're, we're just about out of time in this segment, so we're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here speaking with Dr. Cerani. She's an expert with children, and she's going to be reading from her brand-new book, Sometimes When I'm Mad, but we're going to continue to talk about Um, different ways of dealing with children, as well as recognizing anger. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we, and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by Dropping In every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live.
1: We're speaking with Dr. Debbie Surrani, psychologist and award winning author. We're talking about understanding and responding to to anger in kids, and we're going to follow up this discussion with her reading her beautiful new children's book, Sometimes When I'm Mad. Um, So, Deb, let's just talk a little bit, because we want to talk about um, how to actually encourage healthy anger expression in children um, from preschool to school age. I like your use of the term "calm down times" um, because, again, it doesn't involve shame. But I, when I did a program with Sue Badu, who is the author of *Bridges of Hope*, and she, if you could believe this, had adopted 25 children. They were, they were all from the justice system, and wow. I asked her who did the laundry in her home. <laughs> and she said her husband did, but she was, she was wonderful. And she said, I don't use time out. I use time in because I figure if a child is very upset and is angry and is carrying on, if I make him go into a room by himself or I don't know that he's going to know how to regulate. And if mm. I'm dead, I say to him, okay, now you're going to come and fold towels with me. The contact with me is regulating. So I thought that that was so interesting and I have remembered it because I think time out really does help some children. It certainly does. It's You know, they take a break. Um, But I think if a kid is really having a hard time regulating, I don't know if that's what the time out does. I wondered what you thought, Deb.
2: I, I agree very much so. And that's why I like the idea of making kids become curious about what their anger is about. So, when we see anger, we see a tantrum that 's just the tip of the iceberg. so when we can when the child has the ability to listen, hear, and be reflective, even though they 're emotional and they 're crying, these are the moments where we can be really gentle and, and non judgmental and avoid all this shaming by saying why do you think you want that toy so much? Why do you think you want the truck so much? Or why do you you feel so angry right now? And we take the ability for the child to deepen his or her insight, even in their tiny little bodies and their tiny little minds, they can do it because they're confused by the emotion as well. So when we ask, you know, let's be curious about finding out what's behind the anger. We're problem-solving and we're giving kids a way to regulate and, and touch those different textured emotions. And then there are times, like you said, that if they're just too over the top and they really may need some quiet, that may be when timeout works. And if timeout is being done, it's for a short amount of time generally recommended a minute per birthday. So if you have a three-year-old who needs a little rest time, that's three minutes. It's not 30 minutes. It's not 13 minutes. Um, But I I do think it's important and it's a bit of a skill for parents to learn how to take an angry moment and make it be a teachable moment because they're providing a gift to their little one by saying, there's a mystery here we need to figure out. You're really angry, but it's bigger than that. Are you jealous? Are you um upset and frustrated, hungry, tired? What is it? What could it be? And when you find out what what the underneath the the root of it Sometimes it becomes this aha moment like, well, you know, he has all the trucks and he always gets the first birthday presents. He's older and I don't like that. And so, you know, you're feeling left out. and You're feeling not special. So sometimes kids stumble across this and it helps their caregivers realize, oh my gosh, my little one is really struggling with more than just tantrum.
1: Well, I'll give you an example from my, my younger son when he was maybe... Almost four, and it was Halloween, and they were gonna trick or treat, and everyone had masks on. and He had a complete meltdown. And, <laughs> and I was, I said a little bit, well, you said, I, I'm so confused. We were all waiting to trick or treat, Chris. What is it? I'm not going, okay. Mm. Do you know why he said, I don't like not knowing who anyone is with their masks on? Look at that, who would have thought? Right. So it's such an interesting thing that, you know, the urge to say, pull it together. We've been working on these costumes, you know, for how long. There is, it is just what you say. Children are so wonderfully complex in their own little ways that they need the opportunity to connect. I don't feel like playing with, I'm afraid because I don't know who everybody is with a mask on. Right. That's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So... I I like the idea of, it's normalizing it, because once we know what it is, we can normalize it, Um, and then you have the opportunity to somehow give them a chance to regulate it.
2: Right, there's something called the anger iceberg, and you know, with an iceberg, we only see about 10% of it floating above the water, and the other 90% is, is underneath, and we may see the anger on the surface of our children, but it it's just like a signal. <laughs> it's a flaming signal that may indicate anger, fear, doubt, fatigue, embarrassment, uh, loneliness, you know, so many so many different textures. And for your son it, it was like the anxiety of not knowing who his friends were and weren't and I mean that that's so poetically beautiful that he was able to say what he was really struggling with,
1: well, and it's because the, you asked, right? Well, but one of the things you underscore in your book, in and I want to say to people, our discussions really being drawn from the back of Dr. Sarani's book. Sometimes when I'm mad, well, she has wonderful notes and information that are tu- that will touch on much of what we're speaking about um, as a guide for parents. And one of the things, uh, Debbie, that you mention is when you find out whatever the feeling is even if it seems bizarre you say treat it with respect no matter how inappropriate the feeling is because it it then underscores to children how varied your feelings might be and the- right
2: so right the val- the validation of the anger um to to you're not just normalizing it you're 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 giving it validation and support even if it's ridiculous or even if it's outrageous or even if it's you know you you think it's totally it's not a non issue but it is to this child so when we hold anger or any difficult emotion, positive emotions m- many of us, uh, I would say mostly all of us kind of enjoy uh, you know, they feel good but when the negative emotions come cry, if a child cries or if they're angry it's important It's important that we really validate it because so much of our little one's sense of self and confidence and identity is growing and evolving at these very young ages so the more we can embrace them, the more we can help our children find healthy adjustment emotionally.
1: Mm. You know, recently we had someone on the show talking about prevention of violence and key to the resilience she spoke about was regulation, making meaning, and connection and that's really also what you're talking about with mm-hmm. little
2: kids. I because just wrote that down, I like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because when I, the other thing that you share is not we're normalizing the feeling, but when we do understand that if we can or even if we can't, you're suggesting time, calm down times, which are calm down zones or times, which I really like, and then the option of shake it off, which kids very much respond to. I have seen kids when parents say shake it off, jumping down after they've been heard, they, especially if it's mm-hmm. a group. That's a little off the wall. Um, mm-hmm. You know, shaking it off. It's all ways to help them regulate because it's both physical and psychological and cognitive. It's its a lot of things, anger. Right, and it's also new.
2: We, we as older parents, we're in our own cognitive and emotional for years now, these little ones are still learning what is the edge, where is the extreme, what is, you know, what is the gradient, so to speak, or the dimension of feelings. For some, it's all or nothing. And we want to teach children that there's a lot of different textures to feelings and how to corral them and how to identify them and when we need to linger and when we need to maybe set it aside or shake it off. Of course, this is very simplistic, what I'm saying, but there's a whole art to parenting. We all know this, right? Um, but the most important thing is anger often is a shaming experience. Most, most of us still struggle in our own lives sometimes with expressing anger because it is one of the most negative, misunderstood emotions.
1: Yes, I think that you're so right. L- let me ask you, because I think it's on parents' minds, what happens, or how would you approach a kid who comes back and he's kicking everything in his room and he's upset, he's saying, I'm not going back, let's make him a third grader. And he then says to you, there's a kid who's bullying me in the cafeteria and I feel like I feel bad, I don't want to be with those other kids, I hate everyone, I hate myself. What mm-hmm. does it go with this, step?
2: I think this kid is... This is a great example of the parent or the caregiver having everything they need to know right out on the table that this would be for me, okay, buddy, can you tell me a little bit more about what's going on? I would also mirror the feelings. This is so scary. This must be so tough. Um, And to offer some problem solving. There's usually a three-step process that, that many of us do as child therapists. We want to identify and validate the feeling, especially if a child is saying all these very rich, um, explicit things. Oh my goodness! This this poor little boy is struggling with not just one thing, but the bully, and he doesn't want to go, and he doesn't like his friends, and he doesn't like himself. So you want to you want to let the child feel safe and and let them feel heard. So. Wow, you really show an empathy and compassion, and then you try and help your child talk a little bit more about it, express what's going on, help them put words to things. If you see that they can't, well, is it just this one boy that makes you feel uncomfortable? Are there other children? See as much as you can get. And then we move to the third stage, which is to to collectively together, not I'm going to tell you what to do, but buddy, let's try and figure out how we can get you to feel safe and better and learn that avoiding, because that's what happens with difficult emotions, whether you're sad or angry. It becomes easy to say, I'm not going to do this. And we know that that would be the worst thing in the world because avoidance creates more avoidance and anxiety and insecurity. So how do we get a child to... Feels validated, express what needs to be expressed, and then problem solves. Um, that that's that's a boy in trouble, but a boy who has the opportunity to really learn and grow and adapt and change. Mm-hmm.
1: And the very fact that he shared it says there's there's already a relationship there. I think. Oh, that- very much
2: so. Very much so. Yeah
1: you you have in the back of your book which I like is the question of how can I help you feel better?" That's right that's your question I, I want to try to do that. The other is sometimes when you're telling a child um, you know you can talk, we can talk, it's worth them knowing you know I used to talk to grandpa. Right. so that you model that that this is not just you do, having a strange problem that has to talk, but that this is something we all do.
2: In this- right, and that's the normalizing and making it okay. Um, you know, you'll know when you can, if you're talking about this happens with me or I had a similar situation, uh, it's always good for parents in, to, to monitor that. It is great to share, but you know, see if you can read your child Did they break eye contact when you're talking about your experiences okay let's then get back to their experience you know there's there some children i i and I've seen this um so much in my life that the younger they are, they appreciate the personal story but but much like time out and calm down, we also have to make sure we don't we don't go too long on our um modeling experience I'm sure they even they, you know they they can get a little bored with us <laughs>
1: I, I, I meant it in the sense of you know you can talk to I used to talk to grandma or grandpa but certainly they don't want to hear your whole right
2: right right but it
1: is but that's
2: what makes it so helpful or you know we say oh yeah i know what that feels like and and when i work with little ones it's saying a little bit at a time and waiting oh i know what that feels like i you know Mm -hmm. and then what what how do you know so that means they're ready to know more i used to have a bully in school too Oh, what was that like? And so, you know, the idea of communicating with children, and most parents have this tempo down. They know how to talk to their kids. Um, But it's during these emotional times, I mean, I've fallen into this mistake even knowing it. We want to make sure that we don't speak too long and lecture too much, Um, but we just kind of give... Uh, experiences where we can let children know, we know, I know what that's like. And I I do this quite a lot now. I I feel like I talk less in my practice and I get more from the kids I work with.
1: We're going to take a break, folks. You've been listening to Psych Up Live and we've been fortunate enough to be with Dr. Serrani, psychologist, award-winning author. Uh, We've been talking about understanding and responding to anger in kids. And when we come back, she is going to read her new book, Sometimes When I'm Mad. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: Follow us on Twitter at Voice TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Did you know that millions of people around the world do not have children? And yet the personal and professional experiences of people without children remain largely unacknowledged across cultures and within our personal networks. Public and workplace policies, media narratives, and educational content often reflect an unconscious bias, rendering our experiences invisible. New Legacy Radio engages these missing conversations with the voices of our community and allies, and through committed action for meaningful change. New Legacy Radio, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, If you're looking for a radio program focused on reinventing public education, look no further. Let's Reinvent School with Ross Dannis will have you graduating with a new perspective on the public system and offer insight on what needs to be changed. Let's Reinvent School, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Now, back to Psych Up Live.
1: Welcome back to Psych Up Live. Um, I'm so excited that we've been here with Dr. Serrani. And she's a psychologist, award-winning author. And her latest book, A Child's Book, picks up right what we've been discussing throughout the entire show. How do we understand and respond to anger in our children? And in some ways... The book she wrote, which is—I wish you can all see it. Um, you can go on her; you'll go on her site to see it. Is just beautiful, as well as well. You're going to hear it right now, Debbie. Read to us. Um, sometimes when I'm mad, and I should say, this book has been um, written for Rebecca, and <laughs> right. daughter. So that's daughter. That's my
2: daughter, yes. And I, and I would love to say that it's illustrated by Kira Teeth, who um, I've been lucky enough to have as all of the Sometimes When books series. She's just such a beautiful artist. So, okay. Sometimes When I'm Mad... Sometimes when I'm mad, it's because everything goes wrong. I spill my milk. I can't find my favorite toy. My friend doesn't come over to play. Mama says, we all get mad. Sometimes when we're mad, it's because we can't control what's happening. She says, I can focus on what I can control. When my friend doesn't come over, Mama names two things I can do instead and asks me to pick one. Do you want to do a puzzle or play a game? I say, let's do a puzzle, and I feel better. Sometimes when I'm mad, nothing feels right. My socks are too scratchy, my oatmeal's too lumpy, or my bath water is too cold. Papa says, sometimes when we feel mad, we may be tired and everything bothers us. He asks if I want to rest on the couch, read a book together, or take a nap in my bed. I say, I'll rest on the couch, and I feel better. Sometimes when I'm mad, my body doesn't feel good, my tummy aches, or my heart thumps. Or my head feels heavy. Grandma says sometimes when we're mad, our body can feel achy or shaky. She tells me I can ask for a hug or a cool washcloth for my head. Or I can ask her to rub my back or tummy. I say I'd like a hug. And I feel better. Sometimes when I'm mad, I do things that don't help at all. I don't listen to Papa, I yell at my brother, or I stomp on my toys. Grandpa says sometimes when we're mad, we can forget to be careful and kind. He tells me I can take a deep breath, say I'm sorry, or try to make things right. I say, I'll go and make things right, and I feel better. Sometimes when I'm mad, my feelings are icky and tricky. I don't know what to say or how to act. My teacher says sometimes when we're mad, it's hard to understand exactly what we're feeling and why. He tells me I can talk about my feelings with Mama or Papa or someone else I love. I can talk to a good friend or I can talk to him. I say, I'll talk with Mama and I feel better. The end.
1: It's just beautiful. And uh, the little girl, uh, the, the illustrations are beautiful. I want our folks listening to know, is holding a cat. Debbie says this is her cat. So it, it, it's a very personal book in a way. What I love about the book, one of the first things that hits me is not only is it gently inviting the child to see what might be behind the anger. But in every case, the child is offered an option. Not only about, do you think you feel this or do you think you feel that, but do you think you'd like to take a nap? Or do you think that you'd like? So, and the child makes the choice. So it's very empowering in terms of us building up a child's resilience. Right, right. When, when we offer children
2: at least two things, we're giving them a sense of control over the helplessness they may be feeling. And this is a good technique, not only for children who are angry, but any child who's feeling sad or anxious or oppositional, we're we're taking away the emotional experience that is overwhelming and saying, you have the ability to feel better and I'm going to help you figure it out, but you're going to choose what you do. So there's a feeling of pride and success. And like you said, a building of resilience as well as learning, oh, there's these options. I'll I'll remember, you know, the washcloth next time I don't want to hug and so you start developing a toolbox of all these
1: techniques. At no point I mean it's perfect like what you just said, at no point is this child told don't be mad.
2: Right. If that was very that very important not to not to find or or put shame in this. I really, really wanted it to be instructive. And I wanted the character, who, by the way, in all of these books are very multicultural, yes. um, and this is an Asian family, um, and I wanted more than one caretaker to offer her techniques so it's the mother the father the grandmother the grandfather and the teacher so in more than one environment she's getting this wonderful support across everywhere she is um, that kind of offers the same approach maybe the why of your anger is this and let's see what we can do to help you feel better
1: and then it's really important that at one point she decides i'm not doing anything She's going to hit the brother, or what does she do? She's not, she's not, going, to, she's not going to be too nice to the brother. So, yeah. <laughs> I told you that no matter how great you are as the parent and how much you take from our show in terms of wisdom, at times things are not going to go well. You know, right. she's going to yell at the brother. But the beauty about the next page is teaching a child repair of the rupture. Because, right makes a mistake or the fact that I'm too mad to be nice, I'm too mad to nap, I don't care what you're saying, the ability for a child to know that can be repaired is a big part of resilience too.
2: Right, and I I remember when I was writing this, um, I have a wonderful editor, and they had wanted they really like the book to be a vehicle to show things, and they were saying, you know, well, let's let's kind of maybe can we do the deep breath and and show the deep breath? And I'm like, we can do that in another book. I think it's really important, especially with anger, that we own it and that we can teach children, you know, let's make it right. And and I really I didn't know how to write that last. You know, make it right, make things right. I didn't know if it was too abstract, and eventually, I said, "I think, I think they'll get it." <laughs> um, so that said. was that. It's nice that you're talking about that because I usually don't have too much that I get, you know, really sticky about with the words and the and the prose I choose. But I really wanted that to be in there.
1: Well, you did offer the pause that we offer adults, and we use ourselves. uh, grandpa says, he tells me I can take a deep breath. There it is. That's the pause, the deep breath that allows people to regulate again their nervous system. Mm. Say sorry or try and or try to make things right. The option is still there. That's the beauty for me. The child keeps getting an option and she decides she's not going to do the deep breath. She's going to go and make things right. Right, so, and she's not saying, I'm sorry. She <laughs> she's just, you know, I'll just, you know, let me hug my brother.
2: I don't have to say anything. It's, he'll know what I mean. <laughs> yep. Or maybe he does, maybe she does say that later, you know. And it's a vehicle to ask other children, do you think he said he's, she's sorry? You know, it's, a, it's a, 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 a point where we can ask children as they read the book, what do you think happened after that?
1: Um you um, um, have chosen. Of the possibilities of what she could do throughout the book, it's a great book to have children uh, children comment on as a group. I think it would be a great book for a classroom or you know a family too. I, it's interesting that you brought the teacher in also. I you know I I always
2: like to. Um, think about what a child experiences in a day and this is a school-aged child and you know at school there's a lot that goes on and she happens to have this nice teacher who says yeah it can be icky and sticky and a- and all those things and gives her an option there uh wouldn't it be nice if the world were really like that but when you create things you can create <laughs> A perfect world. So, I yeah, I, I wanted I wanted to have as much of her any of the character's life, school, home.
1: Yeah. Well, both of us in our work over the years have always looked for and invited the family or the child to tell us who is that person in the school that feels good to them. Mm. And so, having because that's the world they live in. Just as you say, it was a day in a child's life. Because that's an important person. And funny it's sometimes it's a cafeteria aid lady. Sure. She's magic. or the bus driver, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. And but that also suggests to children you're not alone. There right. are there are helpers hidden in all kinds of
2: places. Oh yes, Mr. Rogers and his helpers. Yes, so important for children to know that.
1: So what what would be the the way that you would suggest parents use this book, Deb? Well,
2: um, you know, as a vehicle to to teach children that anger can be a very natural thing and um, to use it as a vehicle to talk about identifying what are healthy expressions of anger and what might be more adaptive ways of anger and using the story as a way to springboard you know do you know what makes you mad what what kind of things do you do when you get mad um i always think children's books are equally um engaging to us adults as well i mean i love writing this i love reading it and i still you know still have some of my favorite children's books out um and it it can just be a, a moment of learning, feelings, making feelings, and um, the ability to not feel shame about
1: feelings as a focal point. Absolutely. So, Debbie, now where can our listeners get any of your books? Debbie even has a fiction book. It's like a it's, it's a cliffhanger. It's, <laughs> it's great. Um, it's called the Ninth Session, right? Um, but so, how can people find you? And your books, Deb?
2: Well, um, they can find me at my website, which is com. And um, on my website, it can lead you to other places to buy books um, and read a little more about, you know, some of the things that I'm interested in doing professionally. So that's a good start. And uh, you can probably find some of the books and Walgreens, Target, that things like that, but um, you can find good sales online. And, of course, use the library.
1: Okay. Now, so, Deb, what take-home message? We have adults, we have grandmas, grandpas, parents, teachers. We have loads of people out there who work with little ones and school-age children. What's the take-home message? This has been a rough year. Uh, What's our take-home well, Go ahead. The take the take home message is
2: I, I think that we need to remind ourselves just how much all of us have been asked to endure quite a lot since the since these last you know two years or so. The take take home message of many of us may not be able to hold it and bring it together because it's been so stressful, and if there are these pockets or explosions of anger, irritability, and feeling mad, that instead of being thrown by it, let's try and find out why, what's going on with the little one or even ourselves uh, so we can offer solutions and self-care
1: soothing. Debbie, I want to thank you again for returning to Psych Up Live and for bringing your wisdom in such a gentle and beautiful way that you've expressed how we can understand and respond to anger. Thanks so much for coming back to Psych Up Live. Thank you so much for inviting me, Sue. Okay, I want to thank my listeners. Now remember, you can hear this in any prior show as a podcast by 6 p.m. tonight. This will be a podcast on almost all the platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, Amazon, most of all, remember to be safe, accept anger, embrace your children and be listening.